Hello, everybody, and welcome back to episode 20 of the Goal Line Podcast. So today's special guest is Jake Rosansky. Jake is a professional soccer player for Hapoel, Hapoel Afula, excuse me, in Israel's second division, who was, Jake was also a standout uh, at Maryland in the Big Ten. So um, through mutual connections, we got connected and Jake is joining us today. So Jake, thanks for coming on, man. Thanks for having me. Yeah, man. So, um, so Jake was also drafted uh, by Columbus Crew in the MLS Super Draft. So the first thing I want to ask you before we get back to kind of your background and everything, you know, what was the decision you made to come over or go over to Israel and play and not take that traditional route, I guess, if you will, to try to make an MLS club? Mm-hmm. So the story kind of started um, in the Maccabiah in 2017. If you guys don't know what that is, it's kind of like a, a Jewish Olympics. Um so I had one Jewish teammate on my team with me at Maryland and he had been to Israel many times. He'd played in the previous Maccabi and during that year, he just brought up the idea to me to go on this trip. And I had never been to Israel. Like I'm Jewish, but I'm not very religious. And so I was like, you know what, maybe I should look into it. It would be a cool trip to go to Israel for the first time. So I went and I ended up doing really well. I was a, <clears throat> the tournament's top goal scorer. And that was going into my senior year. That was a summer before senior year. And, you know, I kind of thought about it after that trip. I was like, you know what? Maybe I could I could come play here. I could see myself living here. And a couple of teams asked me to come back uh, and stay after the trip. But I really couldn't because I had that fall semester. Um, so, yeah, I went into that fall semester of my senior year. Had another good season. And right away... Uh, I was invited to the MLS Combine. I had done a couple interviews with some MLS teams even during the season, like at the end of the season. And I hired an agent and I told him, listen, like I went to Israel last year. I did really well. There's these teams that are interested. Maybe we could look into that option. Uh, So he was like, listen, I don't know. I don't know anything about Israeli football. Um, I'm more connected here, but I have a colleague who does. And he reached out to an agent named Itamar Kanan, who's an Israeli guy living in the States. And he was like, listen, this team wants you to come over for a trial. It ended up being Maccabi Netanya, a team in the first league. Um, Go go to the trial for 10 days, see what happens. Uh, We'll see what happens there. Worst case, you come back, go to the MLS Combine, and you can get drafted, and you don't have to sign with the team. And then you can have both options. the Israeli side and the MLS side, you can decide where do you want to go. So I was like, perfect. And that was kind of how the whole Israeli thing came up. Um, I can go more into it if you want, how I ended up going on my trial and the whole story if you want. Yeah, yeah. Come on, please. Yeah, yeah. So I graduated from the University of Maryland. Literally the next day, I got on a flight to Israel, went on my trial in Netanya. It was supposed to be a 10-day trial. And... Um, on my ninth day, my agent calls me and he goes, they're going to have a, they want to see you play in an 11 v 11 game. So they're going to put you with the youth team because on the 10th day, the first team had a game against Maccabi Tel Aviv. Um, and I really had no opportunity to play, you know, in a big real game. So he was like, just do well in that. And I think they're going to, they're going to offer you something. 
So the next day I had a, a game with the under-19s. I did really well. I think I scored one or two goals. And the next day I went to the game against Maccabi Tel Aviv and I was sitting in the stands. And before the game, uh, I get a phone call from my agent and he's like, go down uh, in the tunnel. They're going to let you in. The coach wants to meet with you. And I met with the coach and he was like, listen, we want to sign you. We understand that you have a flight tomorrow to go back home. Don't go on the flight. Sign the contract right now and stay here. And then that was kind of the the moment where it was like, whoa, like everything can change by this, just this one signature. And I was really ecstatic, but I was also kind of scared because I didn't know what to do. So I, I just told him, thank you. Like I need to speak with my agent and my, my parents. So I called my mom and she was like, you know, this is your dream. Do whatever you want to do. Um, if you think you're going to, you're going to be successful there, you're going to be happy, do it. So I ended up signing the contract right there in the stadium and uh, never went home after that. <laughs> That's awesome. That's amazing. So what was it, you know, that, you know, granted that was your first team on trial with, but what did you love about the coach or what did you like, I guess, about the coach there um, that made you want to stay? Um, well, first of all, there was another American on the team, Nico Olsak, and he really made my transition there easier. He, uh, in my 10 days there, he really took care of me and that kind of made me feel really welcome. Um, you know, from the coaching side, I had never seen a coaching relationship like I saw at Natanya. So the way Natanya works is they have a head coach and assistant coach that go together to every team. Like they've gone, they've been together like four or five different teams and that's normal. But the part that's not normal is one coach stands up at during the first half of the game and the assistant stands up during the second half. So they literally don't have a head coach, assistant coach. They're both kind of head coaches. Um, and for those of you that don't know, Israel, Netanya is a town, a beach town. Um, they had just built a brand new stadium. Uh, it's like, 20 25,000 seats like it's absolutely beautiful um just like the lure of everything you know kind of got me you they put a contract in front of you and like it was a good contract um money wise and living wise and just being on the beach and all of that together was just like it all lured me in absolutely so um so I want to rewind a little bit did you when did you kind of decide that you wanted to play professionally was it during your time at Maryland or, you know, was it a dream since high school? And, and then, and then in turn, you know, when did you realize that it could become a reality? Was it after the Maccabi? I mean, to be my dream to be a pro started when I was like seven years old, honestly. Um, mm-hmm. It was all I ever wanted to do. When did I realize that it would be possible? Uh, probably when I was like 13, 14 years old, honestly. I knew it was possible. I didn't know if it was going to happen. Right. Um, but I could just kind of see, like, I was always playing in, you know, the highest level of my age with the highest level players. Um, and I could just kind of see how everything was working out, um, where the best players in the area were kind of migrating together to create one team that ended up being my my youth team, the only Rangers. Um, and players, you know, started getting scouted. From there, you, know, you guys probably know Gideon Zalalem played on my team. He ended up going to Arsenal. 
And I kind of knew like if I just kept it up and kept my level up and kept working hard, that it would be possible. Yeah. So you, you actually started your college career at Virginia, right? I did. Yeah. And so what made you choose Virginia in the beginning of that whole process? Um, most of my college recruiting started at the Dallas cup when I was 16 and, you know, a couple of schools had offered me, um, at right at the beginning when I was, when I was 16 years old, but I kind of held out until my senior year to make a decision. And the two schools that were coming for me the most were honestly Duke and UVA. Um, it's kind of funny. Maryland really, cool. <laughs> yeah, Maryland wasn't really the school that was like coming after me. They didn't even make me an offer. And, uh, you know, I thought being a Maryland kid and just being so close to campus, I lived 15 minutes from campus, uh, that that would be different, but that wasn't the case. Um, so yeah, UVA and Duke were my last two schools. I went to each school on, I went to three visits at each school, um, because I, really didn't know what I wanted to do. And then my mom told me, listen, you have to, wherever you feel more comfortable, like when you go to campus, go to both places and wherever you feel more comfortable, that's a school for you. And uh, yeah, I ended up, I ended up choosing UVA and (laughs) the story continues from there. It gets even crazier from there. Yeah. So, so, I mean, what was it about UVA that made you feel more comfortable there over Duke? You know, Duke, Duke and UVA, are you know pretty preppy schools um but i just felt like and they're both kind of elitist schools like i would say um Mm -hmm. but i I can't explain the feeling like i just walked the feeling of walking on both campuses just the experience i had i just didn't feel like i fit in at duke as much as i did at uva and UVA is like absolutely gorgeous. Um, I think it's probably the most beautiful campus in the country. Uh, I had a couple of friends who were already committed there and there was a bunch of Maryland kids already on the team. So I think all of that kind of just made me feel more comfortable at UVA. And mm-hmm. I think, I think UVA was pursuing me more than Duke was like, they both were pursuing me pretty hard, but UVA was more, um, and, you know, the college coaches, like, they're great salesmen. So, right. at the end of the day, I chose UVA. Yeah, so, I mean, you had a great two years there. I mean, second team All-ACC. You know, what was the decision then to transfer to, to Maryland after that? Yeah, so, I got to UVA. Is this where the part gets crazy? Yeah, this is where it kind of gets crazy. <laughs> um, I got to UVA, and I was, like, this skinny little – freshman like I weighed probably like 135 pounds and nobody I don't think anybody thought that I was going to go in there and I was going to play but I literally had the mindset that when I stepped on the campus I was already the the best player on the team that's the way I was thinking um and I ended up playing every game starting almost every game my freshman year we won the national championship and uh well it was like one of the most fun years of my life but if you guys remember that national championship, it was 2014. We played really, really defensive, uh, especially when the tournament came around. Like we literally just sat back and uh, I was playing center mid. I barely touched the ball. Most of my touches were, you know, just making tackles, you know, or something like that. And 
I was so happy to win the national championship and, you know, it was a special year. But after that year, I kind of met with the coaches and I, I told them that it was my desire the next year to, you know, play more attacking soccer, play, you know, bring the game to opponents, not just worry about them. And they were like, yeah, we do too. We understand. We just had to do what we had to do this year to win. And I completely understand that you have to do what you have to do to win every year. But um, I kind of wanted to play more attacking soccer. And there was talk about me leaving to go, leaving to go pro my freshman year and also my sophomore year. And, you know, after my sophomore year, not many things changed. And my relationship with the coaches just kind of went downhill from there. And uh, I kind of made a decision. The decision was, you know, do, do I go pro and go on trials in Europe? Or I had three, three options, do that, stay at UVA or transfer. Um, because I just, at that point, I just felt really uncomfortable with what was going on and mm-hmm. my conversation with the coaches. And uh, I, at the end of the day, at the last second, I decided to transfer and Maryland came up and it ended up being a perfect situation. And the funny thing is, my last game for UVA was against Maryland at Maryland. <laughs> that's awesome. No, that's funny. So I want to talk about a little bit about your, your national championship season. So what was it about that team that did so well? You're or like, you know, was it the leadership? Was it the coaches? Was it the players? What do you think allowed your team to be so successful? I have to say it was, it was the players, honestly. Uh, you know, that season we didn't really start well. Like the whole season didn't really go how, you know, the coaches wanted or how we thought it was going to go. Uh, especially in the beginning, we, we had a team that we had such a big roster. We had like, I think over 30 players and a lot of the players were fourth or fifth year guys that, um, you know, didn't really play much. And we went into the ACC tournament was like, not a great record. Uh, okay record. And we got knocked out. And I remember after the ACC tournament, we knew we were going to make the tournament, the NCAA tournament, because we just had a really strong uh, strength of schedule we had a couple of good wins under our belt and uh, we had about two weeks to get ready for the NCAA tournament. And I remember the captain of the team sat, sat us down for a meeting and a lot of the older guys spoke, the ones that, you know, were not playing. And I, that meeting was honestly really special. Those guys who spoke were like, honestly crying when they spoke, they were the, they kind of took ownership and they were like, listen, we don't play much and we haven't been really good role models. And that's kind of trickled down to the younger guys. And, you know, we have one more opportunity to make this something special and we're going to start being, you know, the role models that we should be. And that kind of rallied the group. And from then on, you know, we just went through the NCAA tournament um, without losing. You know, there were some games that I think, luck was on our side but like literally the togetherness of the team was what won us the championship yeah and you know i think that's obviously a lot of credit to the seniors who kind of realized that they weren't doing their job and you know i had a similar situation when i was playing when i was a sophomore our senior kind of brought every our senior captain brought everyone together sat us down 
um, you know, just talked about the team and everything. And then that's kind of where we came all together. And, you know, we ended up winning our conference championship that year. Obviously, I'm not comparing our conference championship to the NCAA national championship. But, um, you know, it, it, but it's a similar thing where where like an older guy can come can bring everyone together and show that passion and show that they care and that that will to win. Mm-hmm. So you end up transferring to Maryland and you became a captain your senior year, right? Yeah, my senior year I was the captain. So, so how did you make such an impact in one short year to become a captain in the following year? Um, that's a good question. Uh, you know, I came to Maryland and uh, I already knew a bunch of guys on the team. And uh, I kind of, my mindset going into Maryland was like, listen, I went through a kind of a really tough period at UVA where, uh, you know, I was playing well, but I like what was going on in my head, I wasn't really happy with like the whole situation. So I was like, I'm just going to go in there and like be quiet, do my work quietly and uh, play well. And uh, I think after my junior season, I think I had a really good year and uh, I kind of just went about my business. Um, I ended up becoming really, really close with everybody on the team. I was doing well academically and after that, there was only going to be two years, two seniors on the on the team, me and one other guy, George Campbell. Um, so I think that kind of helped uh, me become a captain, just because I was going to be the oldest. But also, I think I showed Sasha Sarovsky, the coach at Maryland, and the rest of my teammates that like I was willing to do the right things and lead by example. And that's probably why those two things why I became captain. Yeah. So. When you became captain, what what would you say that kind of your leadership style? I know you just touched on it. You know, you're going to lead by example. But were you a vocal guy or did you leave that for your co-captain? Um, I think my junior year, I just tried to be – I tried to lead by example and I wasn't the captain. But when I became captain, uh, I definitely started to become more vocal, um, partly because I was unhappy what was going on with the team. My junior year, we went undefeated the whole season, and we ended up getting upset in the tournament. And I was pretty upset about that. And then my senior year, we had such a talented team. I'm thinking, like, we probably had the most talent in the country, and we just couldn't mesh together. And, you know, we had so many team meetings, more team meetings than I've ever had on a team. Um, And I've been on a couple yeah, with the coaches, without the coaches, um, I held, you know, players only meetings and, you know, just something, something wasn't clicking with us and we ended up getting knocked out again early. And like the, like the thing I told you about the UVA team, we weren't clicking at all. And there was a moment where just like everything came together and we were going to fight for each other. And my senior year, you know, that just really that moment never really happened i think so did did you during that senior year did you kind of feel responsible at all for not being able to to get those groups and to get everyone to kind of mesh together Uh, of course i mean i'm always gonna put myself responsible over anything um you know if i'm not playing well that's my fault i'm gonna say that's my fault over anything else uh and i was the captain of that team so i have to take responsibility um, I think yeah. that's the only so, I mean, so what do you think if you look lo- looking back on it now do you think there's another way or that you would try to get everyone to click to come together and 
and maybe you know have another successful season and win the the championship you know what what do you think you would have done differently you know in college especially it's kind of tough for a captain to do anything just because you know we're kind of on the same level playing field um and I had so many meetings with my coach and like I think we had to be more the players had to be more disciplined and I'm not trying to say it's the coach's fault like we did so many things we had so many meetings um about what to do uh but it's really hard to explain like sometimes I guess sometimes the team just doesn't click you know some groups of Mm -hmm. people some there's going to be sometimes a, a group of players that just click and sometimes not um and I think that was just the case I I don't know. I, I can always say I can. I could have done more, um, and I will say that. But uh, we really made an effort to, you know, make that click happen. It just didn't. Yeah, you know, I was in a similar situation. Like like I just talked about, you know, that one year that our captain brought us together, we won the championship. And then that next year, and I had a couple of my old teammates on, um, you know, and my old coaches too. And you know, that following year after we won the championship, similar to how you guys went undefeated, you know we had the most talented roster like ever. I mean, I mean, granted it's a division three compared to division one, but you know, we, we were so talented and we, I think the whole team just hated each other. Like it, it was, it was crazy. And, you know, starting from our senior leaders down to our freshmen, everyone just hated each other. And it, it kind of just ruined, you know, ruined our, our season. But so then you end up, you finish, you know, as we spoke about in the beginning, you go, you go overseas to Israel, you know, can you describe like what what does a captain do? What does the captain of your team do in Israel that's different than what you saw in college? Uh, the main difference is just you know we're men, like we're not we're not little boys in college, but you know people are fighting for their livelihood and uh, they're fighting for spots and for jobs and for the next contract. So uh, I think the the captain. Um, especially when you get to the the program, the program just has a lot more power, I think. Um, You know, there's been so many times where, you know, the captain has sat us down and like we have fines and that's from the captain. That's not, you can't do fines in college. Um, The captain fines you. He doesn't technically fine you. He just like, he's the one that sets it up. Um, You know, if you're late, he's the one that collects the money. And the, the money all ends up going back to the team. But that's just something like you can't do in college. Um, it's just more discipline. And we speak to each other more like men. That's what I would say. Gotcha. So what are, what are, what are some of the things that you get, that you get fined for? Number one is being, <clears throat> being late. Uh, I can't tell you how many times guys have got fined for being late. Um, you know, if you just don't do your job, meaning like we – when you think about like the Israeli league, it's not like, you know, the Premier league where we have 35 coaches at practice and the coaches are the ones that the equipment managers are the guys that take care of like the balls and everything like that. It's, that's not how it works. Like we have a small coaching staff. Um, we're a smaller club. So, you know, the players have to have to pump up the balls. The players have to bring the gear to training. Um, so if you're just not doing your job with that, like we rotate every week, um, if you're not doing your job with that, that can be a fine. Um, now with what's going on with coronavirus, uh, you can get fined if you're not following the guidelines. 
Um, but yeah, those kind of things. So, you know, I'm going to ask you a question you probably never thought of. What, because now I'm, I'm kind of curious to think. So instead of fines at the college level, um, you know, other than fitness, how or what are some ways that you think coaches and captains can, you know, in quote in air quotes, find players for being late or not doing their job? <laughs> That's the the million dollar question and the answer. Right, is, right. I don't think you can. Um, you know, like, there's really nothing you can do. You're not in a place of power. You know, um, you know, we're not getting paid in college. So where's the money coming from? You're gonna take the money out of. Uh, the mother of a ki- another kid no no, no. So, so, so i'm not saying like like actually fine but like i, I don't want to say punish but or discipline but like you know what are some ways that you can i guess limit the the mistakes and limit the off the field laziness if you will the only way is just like come together as a team um i've been in many situations where especially in college also that players got disciplined and uh, I give an example from UVA, um, which not the national, not the national championship year, the year after, uh, you know, you're not supposed to drink 48 hours before a game. That was one of the rules. And a bunch of our players got caught, um, you know, not once a couple of times drinking before a game. So I think after the second or third time, our captain had told these guys, like, listen, if you get caught, I'm going to tell the coach and what ended up happening was the captain told the coach and by law, the coach, if the coach knows about underage drinking, he has to report it. So the coach ended up reporting it um, to athletic administration at the school. And because of that, all those players had to go into like mandatory classes um, and they were suspended from the next game. So the next game we had, I think maybe two or three subs and that was it. And the aftermath of that was there was total resentment from the players that got suspended against the guys who weren't suspended and the captain. And that was just like a recipe for disaster. And uh, to be honest, I kind of felt, and I still feel for the captain in that situation because like, listen, he gave you guys a chance. You didn't listen. And he wasn't aware that, you know, the coach had to report it. He just thought like, you know, I tell the coach and the coach is going to be like, okay, you know, I'm going to take care of this on my own. But no, it has to go up to the the higher power, his boss, the coach's boss. I mean, um, yeah, yeah. And then that ended up killing the season my sophomore year. Right. Yeah. I mean, that, that's a, it's an interesting di- dichotomy for a captain to have, especially at the college level when, you know, you're, you're dealing with your friends who just want to have a good time, enjoy their college life, but, you know, not recognizing the bigger picture and, and that I'm, you know, that's a tough situation. And um, it's definitely a nice trying to find that balance that, that will do the trick. But um, so Jake, you're also the host of your own podcast, uh, not your average footballer podcast for those listening, make sure you check it out. You, you're talking to a bunch of different pros. Now, have you learned anything from them and just, you know, just, questioning them kind of like I'm questioning you right now oh absolutely um I've so far I've interviewed a lot of guys that I know uh, and a lot of guys that I grew up playing with that are now pros and the funny thing is just like this 
this situation of like a podcast interview, like they open up in ways that, you know, if we were just talking like at a coffee shop or something or talking normally on the phone that they wouldn't normally do. So mm-hmm. I definitely learned things about guys that I already knew. I thought I knew really well, um, which is really cool. Uh, and like, for example, I interviewed uh, Jonathan Bornstein, who was on the U.S. national team, played in the World Cup, uh, played was my teammate here in Israel. Um, he's a little bit older than me. Um, and he was kind of the guy that I probably – out of everyone else that I knew, I know I know the least, just because he's much older than me. Um, and I just learned so much stuff about his career. And like when when I first met him, you know, I thought it was all kind of roses and daisies for him. Like he was with the national team, he played in the World Cup, but then you know he kind of talked to me about like the struggles that he went through in his career and how he how he built himself up, how he built up such a good career, and that was really interesting. Yeah, so what what do you think your biggest takeaway has been from from the guys you've been you've been interviewing? There's and, probably and how can you apply it to to your playing career? Yeah, there's probably two takeaways of two main takeaways that I've had so far. One is the mental part of the game is even more important than the physical part. Uh, so many guys I've talked to, and the second thing that which is related to that is like everyone goes through their struggles, um, through their ups and downs. And that can be related mentally to to the mental side of the game. But uh, almost everyone I've talked to was like, they said, you know, you you work out your body so much. You go to the gym, you do running, but nothing is more important than, you know, your mindset and how healthy your mind is. Um, Because that's that's more of the game than honestly the physical side. Um, The second part was the struggle is like everyone goes through struggles. For example, Jonathan Bornstein. Um, you know, play was the rookie of the year in MLS. Um, went to the World Cup in South Africa, and after the World Cup in South Africa, he ends up signing uh, for a team in Mexico. And you know, he thought he was going to go probably go in there and play right away, and he ended up finding himself on the bench for like three years after playing in the World Cup. Um, and he said that was like the most difficult part of his career so far, but. In those times, uh, we talked about how um, you got to make the valleys as short as possible and you have to ride, you know, the peaks for as long as you can. And he kept going to training. He never quit. And uh, that's what makes you the, the bigger and the stronger person. Yeah, man, that's a, that's an incredible story. I'll have to, I'll have to check that out for sure. So um, during, currently during your playing time, you know, or playing career, what has been your biggest learning lesson just playing in Israel playing with a bunch of men and you know being on a coaching staff that's I guess probably something that you've never been in tuned with so um what has been your biggest takeaway from that so far probably probably has to do with what I just said with like you know keeping your keeping a level head and not getting too low or too high um you know there's things that's happened in my career that I would have never thought happened so far. And I've only played for played professionally about two and a half years. Um, you know, I came to this country. I didn't speak the language. Um, I've been living on my own and it's been, to be honest, it's been very difficult. Um, but I'm pretty proud of myself that I've survived to this point. Um, 
but yeah, there's been a, there's been some lows for sure. Um, there's been some times where, you know, I've called my mom and I'm like, mom, I, I want to come back. And, uh, but you know, I, I signed a contract. I have a job. I, I put myself in this situation. This is what I want to do. Um, but in those times, you know, you can be upset for five minutes and then you have to forget about it. Then you have to work for the next thing. Cause this is what I wanted to do. Yeah. Mm-hmm. No, that's awesome. I mean, yeah, everyone goes through their struggles. I mean, in, like you said, it, that's, I commend you for just being able to put your head down and continue to work and understand that, you know, you're in a great position. It's what you want. And, you know, you'll come out of it a better man and, and stronger. So, uh, you know, the last question I like to ask all my guests, um, mainly coaches, so it's a little bit different, but for you as a player, I'm, I'm interested to hear your side. Um, you know, what, as you leave teams and you go and you, you know, you make the MLS club, great. Um, what are some things that you want your teammates and coaches to say about you as a person um, once you leave their, their respective club? Mm-hmm. Um, I just want my teammates and my coaches to say that, you know, I was always a guy that they could count on um, soccer wise and, you know, off the field wise, probably more off the field wise um, that, you know, I was more than just a teammate. I ended up being a friend. And uh, that's something that I definitely think about, you know, when I, when I go to training or like when I think back on my two and a half years here so far in Israel or my time in college at UVA in Maryland. Um, number one is just like, I want my, my teammates and coaches to think, you know, I, I was a good guy. Um, you know, I don't want people to be speaking about me and be like, Oh, you know, that kid at Maryland was such an asshole. He, he was a terrible teammate or anything like that. I, number one is just being a good guy. Um, mm-hmm. and number two is that I was doing the right things all the time and I was working hard. I love that. I love that. Makes sense. Absolutely. But, um, yeah, Jake, so, I appreciate you taking the time uh, this morning over here in America, but uh, I know it's afternoon for you. But again, thank you so much. This has been awesome. Everyone, make sure you go uh, follow Jake on social media and check out Not Your Average Footballer podcast. He's interviewing, you know, cream of the crop. So, Jake, I appreciate it. Thank you, man. It was a pleasure.